Oh, Texas. Could we open our meeting in our usual manner with our serenity prayer, please? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Our public relation policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at level of press, radio, film, and TV. We need guard with special care the anonymity of all AA members. In keeping with the 11th tradition, we respectfully request any member of the media who may be with us to please cooperate by using no last names or full-face pictures. We do have tapes available of all meetings at the tape table. Uh, the hospitality room where you do get your coffee will be closed during all meeting times. We have a couple of announcements to make, and one is that we do have gold stars at the registration desk for sale for one dollar. Now, this is to take care of the coffee expense, so if you but purchase a gold star, then you don't have to put money in the coffee kitty. So if you will, try to get your gold star in the back. I have um, a couple of other announcements. The location of our Alateen Hospitality Room, just a minute, I've lost it, is in the Hong Kong Room. And this is open at all times. I stopped in last night, and they have a lot of good goodies over there and a lot of good hospitality. And that's right out of the dining room across the breezeway, and you'll find it without any trouble. We have another hospitality room that's open and that they would like for you to come in and visit, and that is the Starlight Village Hospitality Room that's located upstairs, right almost over our hospitality room here in 308. Jim B. is there and would like for you to come up and chat with him, have coffee and refreshments with him. Um, and at this time, I'm going to turn the meeting over to our chairperson, who is Craig W. from Brownwood, Texas. Good morning. I am Craig Woodson from Brownwood. I am the... Hi, everybody. I'm the father of an alcoholic, the husband of an alcoholic, and a very grateful Al-Anon this morning. And I am your substitute chairman this morning. Frank Murray, who was going to be your chairman, has had a very serious operation, and he is recovering, and he should have gotten out of the hospital yesterday, I guess, if the weather permitted. And uh, if everybody would remember him in their prayers and their thoughts for a speedy recovery. Okay. Can't hear. Okay. Is that better? Oh. Okay, the little mic, all right. <clears throat> when I first got to Al-Anon, you know, we come in, I was a little bit flaky. Well, really, maybe more than a little, maybe a whole lot <laughs> flaky. But I did hear one thing right off the bat, that this was a program of feelings. And I wasn't so flaky that I could look in there, and I knew that if I was going to be feeling, I knew which room I wanted to be in. I wanted to be in the room with all you beautiful ladies. <laughs> And I've been very grateful for that decision. <laughs> we welcome you to the Al-Anon 
family groups. We hope you will find this fellowship the help and friendship we have been privileged to enjoy. We who live with a problem of alcoholism understand, as perhaps few others can. We, too, were lonely and frustrated, but in Al-Anon we discover that no situation is really hopeless and that it is possible for us to find contentment and even happiness whether the alcoholic is still drinking or not. We urge you to try our program. It will show you how to find solutions that lead to serenity. So much depends on our own attitudes, and as we learn to place our problem in its true perspective, we find it loses its power to dominate our thoughts and lives. The family situation is bound to improve as we apply the Al-Anon ideas. Without such spiritual help, living with an alcoholic is too much for most of us. Our thinking becomes distorted by trying to force solutions, and we become irritable and unreasonable without knowing it. The Al-Anon uh, program is based on the 12 suggested steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, which we try, little by little, one day at a time, to apply to our lives along with our slogans and serenity prayer. The loving interchange of help among members and daily reading of Al-Anon literature thus makes us ready to receive the priceless gift of serenity. Like AA, Al-Anon is an anonymous fellowship. Everything that is said here in the group meeting and member to member must be held in confidence. Only in this way can we feel free to say what is in our minds and hearts, for this is how we help one another in Al-Anon. <clears throat> Actually, when I got here, I wasn't really hearing very much, and I had three feelings, rage, terror, and utter loneliness. And of, of those three, the only one that I could actually express in any way was the anger. Uh, it, it seemed to me the only acceptable feeling, the only acceptable way to express any of the feelings that I had. In those first meetings, though, I picked up, I think, three very important new feelings. Didn't hear very much. In fact, I remember very little of those first meetings. But I could feel that you understood my problem. I knew you cared what happened to me. I could feel that. And I knew I would never have to be alone or feel alone again. And that was marvelous. I knew that I could go out and I could feel all those negative feelings all I wanted to. But I found that if I went to the meetings, I could feel those three good feelings. And so I went to lots of meetings when I first started, and I felt those good feelings. And with the help of you people... Today, I am much more aware, I am much more alive, and I have a full set of feelings, including joy, gratitude, love, sadness, grief, and excitement. And that's pretty good for an old boy that, you know, just got here and he couldn't express anything but anger, and I'm very grateful. With my newfound feelings, I really enjoyed in meeting and being with our speaker today. You know, she is fun to be around. It feels good to be with her. I'm excited about hearing her speak today. She is really a neat person. And I'm aware, and I wouldn't have been before, what a beautiful person she is. She's a past World Service delegate from Louisiana. She's the chairman of the Al-Anon Host Committee for the 1980. International AA Convention in New Orleans this coming summer. And she knows all of the good places to eat in New Orleans if anybody <laughs> wants to check it out. 
She's a joy to be around and a real treat to listen to, and it's a pleasure for me to introduce, and I, let's give Dot S. from New Orleans a big welcome. Good morning. Gracie told me on the phone the other day that I was not to wish that it were to snow in Dallas, Texas this morning, because if it did, it would paralyze the city. But God didn't listen to Gracie, and it's snowing outside, and to me it's a beautiful morning, because you see, I have never seen as much snowfall as I have been able to see this morning. And after I've finished in here, I'm going to put on a pair of boots and a pair of blue jeans, and I'm going to go out and enjoy it. Louisiana would think I were very remiss, and right now in Alexandria, Louisiana, they're holding a, a meeting of the 1980 Al-Anon Host Committee, and the chairman is here in Dallas, Texas, because she said six months ago she'd be here in Dallas, Texas, and they weren't supposed to be having an assembly meeting. But I can assure you, the city that care forgot will long remember when it hosts the 1980 International Convention of Alcoholics Anonymous, and Al-Anon will be represented there. And I know that each and every one of you will be with us. It's an experience that if you don't even get to attend one meeting, just being there, as I had the privilege of being in Denver, will be an spiritual experience that you shall never forget. So the good Lord willing and the creek don't rise, see y'all 4th of July. July 3rd, don't forget to come to the uh, Mardi Gras Ball. We're putting on a Mardi Gras extravaganza, floats and everything, parading into the river gate. And we're going to throw away doubloons and favors, and we're just going to have a big time. And we need you. We want you. So look forward to seeing all of you there. I would begin, as I always do, by thanking the committee for asking me. You know, for so long... I wanted to be a part of, and it's thrilling and it's exciting this morning to be a part of the first. The basket's beautiful, the gift that you gave me, in case anyone would like to see it. I like unusual things, and it's a little knife, and it has my name on it, and I would so much like to thank the committee. It's beautiful. As I look around the room this morning, I know we're where we are when we are because that's where God wants us to be. And certainly it's nothing that I have ever done or anything that I have ever said, but only God's plan that I be with all of you this morning. My name is Dot, and I'm a member of the downtown Illinois group in New Orleans, Louisiana. Hi, everybody. I also might add I'm a nervous Cajun. <laughs> but that's all right, too, because I heard a speaker say one time from Texas, belittle the guy or gal who gets up and he or she ain't got no butterflies, because it just might mean that you don't want to hear what she's got to say. And I always like to qualify, because I do have those butterflies. But there's one thing that you taught me a long time ago that this is a program of loving and caring and sharing so that I know that when I sit down, 
you will have loved me as much as when I stood up. To me, this is a simple program, a program of the heart, utilizing, not analyzing. It's a simple program. You taught me the whys were relatively unimportant, but to deal with the fact that it is. In the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, in our own living with an alcoholic, we're supposed to tell what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. And I got a long story, and I best get on the way. I was born in a small town in southwest Louisiana, the only child of alcoholic parents. I tell you this this morning, not looking for your sympathy, but only to let you know to the degree that alcohol has touched my life. Because I firmly believe that the degree that we have been affected by alcoholism is to the degree that we get sick. I used to go into my history and my background quite a bit. But now I can just kind of sum it up by telling you that I really came into this world feeling like a mistake instead of a miracle. To clarify that, my parents had been married some nine years before I was born. Three months after I was born, they separated, later divorced, never to go back together again. And somehow or other, I grew up with the feeling that my birth had sort of been responsible for a breakup of a marriage. I was raised by my grandmother. And as long back as I can remember, I vowed and declared that if and when I got married, that nothing but nothing was going to touch my children, that they were going to grow up and they were going to have this beautiful home life with parents together that I had never had. Because, you see, as I said before, I felt different. This small town where I grew up in, divorce was unheard of. I graduated from a convent, class of ten, the only one in the class who had divorced parents. And I can remember on class night walking out into an audience and pinning a corsage on a mother, a corsage on a grandmother, and a corsage on a stepmother. I was different. My grandmother was a very religious person. And she taught me as well as the convent that I went to. And we were discussing that the other morning about the fact that I'm certain that the message that a lot of those people in that same classroom got perhaps was different than what I got. But the message I heard in those years was the God of fear and not the God of love. And the God of my understanding this morning as I stand in Dallas, Texas, is a God of love. And he stands here next to me. But it was to the program of Al-Anon and the program of Alcoholics Anonymous that I found this God of love. <clears throat> My father died at the age of 50, a protected alcoholic in a small town with a good name. He literally was loved to death. I learned many years later that at a period in his life, he had wanted to do something about his drinking only to be told that he really didn't have a problem. My mother died at the age of 48. 
alcohol again was responsible for the death. And in her trunk that I opened after her death, I found a lot of AA literature. And in one point in her life, she had made a complete about-face. And I choose to believe this morning that somewhere, somehow, her life was touched, if, by, if but briefly, as my life has been touched by members of Alcoholics Anonymous. I finished school at the age of 15, went away to college, only to buy time until I could enter nurses' training. At the age of 17, I entered nurses' training in New Orleans. And this was where I met and later married the alcoholic in my life. The time I met him, my uh, self-image was a total zip. I was an absolute nothing. And last night our speaker described so vividly my feelings. I could identify so very well with how she felt. This man was gay, he was exciting, he was fun to be around, and he was different. <laughs> I know I'm a lot better than I was then, but you know I still like different people. <laughs> and again, as our speaker said last night on our first date, I can recall he said to me, you know I'm really not good enough for you. And honey, I bought that line, and I bought everything that went with that line. <laughs> he liked to party, and I had never had the opportunity to party. So naturally, you know, it was just great. The time of our marriage, we were affiliated. The school of nursing that I was was in, affiliated with a psychiatric hospital there in New Orleans to Paul. And I was on the alcoholic unit of that floor. And I can remember remarking one morning to Dr. So-and-so how nice Mr. So-and-so was. And he in turn saying to me, Miss Trappe, whatever you do, don't ever marry an alcoholic. They're the nicest people in the world when they're sober and the damnedest when they're drunk. <laughs> one week later, we were married. But then that's another story, too, because, you see, I enjoyed this nurse's training. And it had not been planned that it would happen that way. But I was asked to resign. And I choose really not to go into that part of the story because it, was, it is the man that I was married to's story. But it was an excellent opportunity for me because of the fact that I figured if I didn't transfer to another school of nursing, as they had suggested that I do, they would give me the opportunity to marry this man. It was a way out. I didn't have to go back to this small town. I didn't have to face my father. I didn't have to face my grandmother. Plus, I loved him. I didn't love him. I worshipped him. I was completely, totally obsessed with this man. How could someone like him want to marry someone like me? And so, we were married. My father came in from the wedding. He had been married before, and so we were married by justice of the peace. So this really set another stage for this martyrdom that I was later to really 
you know, used to the hilt. Here it was, I had given up my career, I had given up my religion, I had given up everything for the man I love. Honey sounds like something out of a true story magazine. <laughs> and I used it for an awful long time. You know how it is, you've been there, there were those years of, uh, you know, the drinking and the making up. And I was married to an individual who was a disappearing drunk. And he like disappeared for days. And there were those beautiful making up periods and the gifts. And then you know what happens later on. There aren't the gifts and there's the hassle. And, you know, you've been there. Some of you have, I'm quite certain. And I thought, well, when the children come, things will be different. Our first son was born 21 years, uh, 21 months after we were married. About that time, we took a geographical cure and we moved back to this little small hometown. Oh, God, that was really bad. Because, you see, my grandmother had instilled in me the fact that, you know, you can be whatever you can be and you can make things work. And so, honey, I tried to make things work. You know, you know how it is. You know, I sit around an Al-Anon room today and I think the one thing we all have in common, and that's we got to do something. You know, we just got to get in there and keep on pitching and do something. The hardest lesson that I have ever heard, had to learn in my entire life is to learn to do nothing. No one ever told me that I was going to have to learn to do nothing, to learn to let things happen. The marriage got sick. I got sick. And I can assure you, the girl who stands in front of you this morning in no way resembles the girl who walked in to her first Al-Anon meeting many years ago. We uh, talk about the change, and again, Betty talked about it last night. You know, I figured there was something wrong with me. Always that you know, if something's wrong with you, because if something wasn't wrong with you, then everything would be going right. And then I got to thinking that God was punishing me because I had given up my religion, I had done all of this stuff, and that God was sending down this wrath. But I had vowed and declared that nothing but nothing was going to touch these children. And so I tried to be the perfect mother and the perfect wife, and I was so perfect till I couldn't hardly stand me. Those years I ran around in princey, Princess Peggy dresses. <laughs> Has anyone ever worn a Princess Peggy dress? Good! I'm glad to see someone knows what Princess Peggy's about. It's a little cotton thing and you step in it and you zip it up, you know, and, uh, and you go get with it. <laughs> Today, you know, I thought I was being the perfect mother and all this. I know that I denied my children the one thing that they needed so most, and that was me, the joy of laughter, just being with them. But again, thanks to Alanon, you've taught me to forgive me because I know this morning that everything that I ever did, at the time that I did it, I did it because that was the best that I knew how. I have also learned to forgive my mother because, you see, I blamed her for everything. And I could not be like her. I had to make this work. She had not made it work. And if, this, if she would not have left my father, then these things would never have happened. 
again, thanks to this program, I have had the privilege of sitting in many a meetings and seeing young people come in who despised and hated their mothers and to learn to live with the problem and so that I have had to forgive her and know, too, that she did the best that she could for me at the time that I was growing up and that she loved me to the degree that she was capable of loving me. When we got to the second step where it said, you know, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. It has not been very difficult for me to take that step. The first step, you know, admitted that I was powerless over alcohol and that my life was unmanageable. The only reason it was unmanageable because there was an alcoholic in my life. I now know that along with that goes that I'm powerless over people, places, and things. But oh, that second one. Speaker last night spoke of emotional blackouts. And I too have had emotional blackouts, so I know what she was speaking about. I can recall one day <clears throat> on a Saturday morning, all of a sudden I came to driving an automobile with my foot all the way down on an accelerator. God was with me that morning. But I just couldn't take it anymore. I had not managed to be able to have all of these beautiful things that I thought that life was going to afford me once I was married and had children. I did a lot of things and in those drinking years. I became a recluse. But always with the one thought in mind that nothing was going to protect these children. I wanted them to love their father and I established a beautiful rapport. I covered up and I hid things from them. And I literally almost loved this man to death. I played hide-and-seek, and I know that you here have played hide-and-seek. And we lived in a basement house in those years. And the man that I was married to built restaurant and barroom fixtures, and he had a shop in the basement. And so I spent a great deal of my time running out of the back door when he would leave out of the front door, searching through huge vats where all this upholstery material was, searching frantically through all of this for bottles. Now, that's all right to search for bottles. But the reason I searched for bottles was not to prove that I was right. I wanted to prove that he was right when he said he hadn't had a drink. Now, that's crazy. <laughs> because, you see, I wanted to believe. I lived in a very unreal world. And, you know, to those of you sitting out there, who believe, each time in my heart, you know, it got a little bit deeper and the pain was more intense. And yet, one more time, I believe again. I also spent a lot of time uh, laying prone on a bedroom floor, monitoring telephone conversations from a hole in the floor where once a heater had been. <laughs> this is sane behavior. <laughs> By this time, our second son had been born, and I was still in there pitching, still trying to make things happen. I, uh, 
can recall on another occasion, I rented a You Drive It automobile. Now, this man was not employed at the time. We were living on a Social Security check of $25. We came in from a picnic that day, and I uh, prepared supper, and he was going to take a shower or something, and uh, I turned around, and he was gone. Now, I had only learned to drive an automobile about three weeks prior to this. I was mad. I had a few drinks. I went down and I rented a U-Drive-It with the last bit of money that we had. The man on the phone, who I had to call my mother-in-law to verify this, and I can recall the man on the phone, you know, he's holding one phone and I'm on the other phone with my mother-in-law and her saying, but that you don't know how to drive. <laughs> You've only been driving a month. <laughs> now this nut rented me this automobile. <laughs> and I combed the city streets of New Orleans, and New Orleans is a big city. And I have heard so many alcoholics speak of fear and the loneliness that they experience. I, too, have known the fear. I, too, have known loneliness. And on this particular morning, driving, I'm a chain smoker, and I ran out of cigarettes. But I was too afraid to stop an automobile for fear that I would not be able to start it again. I found what I wanted to find, and as usual, I didn't do a thing about it. I was the most wishy-washy individual that God ever put on this earth. No wonder my children were confused. You know, you've heard that old adage, if you can't beat them, join them. I tried that one, too. And for a while there, it worked pretty good. You have a few drinks and you forget, you know. By this time, the alcoholic in my life had become unemployable. And uh, we were living next door to a restaurant where these friends of ours owned this restaurant. And they had suggested that I come in and help them. And so I was helping them at the restaurant. And I had never done any waitress work before. And so consequently, it was very demanding. In order to be this good mother, this good wife, and work at 4 o'clock, I had to have everything prepared at home before I left. And, and, you know, everything just had to be great. And so on this particular Saturday afternoon, I can recall, these friends of mine were in from Shreveport, and they invited me to come over. And uh, I was introduced to a martini. About this time, I had had a weight problem, and also, I mean, you know, I was just kind of worn out from doing all of this. It was getting pretty hectic. So I was also taking amphetamines. We had a few drinks, a few martinis, and I proceeded to go home to get ready to go to work. The children were at the Saturday movies, all three of them. By now, I've had this daughter that I dreamed of having for so long. So I proceeded to go home. And somewhere between Armageen's and my house, I was stopped by the New Orleans City Police. 
I was taken to a precinct, and fortunately for me, I was recognized. And they called this good friend of mine, Mary, and they said, Mary, we've got Dot down here, and we're about to book her with a DWI. And she said, oh, you've got to be kidding. You don't mean you got Dot. You mean you got Giles. <laughs> and they said, no, Mary, I mean we got Dot. They had to uh, reiterate this statement several times before she would believe it, and finally she came down and she whisked me out of there. And but for the grace of God, who knows? Fortunately for me, that we did have some friends. And so that I'm happy to say this morning that there is no history of an arrest of a DWI for dot shows in Arlene's Parish. <laughs> but I certainly can understand the female alcoholic. And I think that any time that we use alcohol as a means of escape, then we're buying trouble. And so that God was good to me. And that we found the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and we found the program of Al-Anon in time. In those years, I threatened to stay and I threatened to leave and I got tired of listening to myself. The man that I was married to had had some business dealings with a man some 15 prior, years prior who had at that time had divulged the fact that he was a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And so on a Sunday morning, he called this man. And it was to the doors of AA that I attended my first open meeting. And the love and the warmth and the fellowship that I found that night at my first AA meeting. And in every AA and every Al-Anon meeting since have carried me until today. And to you and to them and to him, I am eternally grateful. I wanted what you had in that room that night. I also wanted it for the man that I was married to. I shall be eternally grateful to him for leading me to a program that has allowed me the privilege to become me. But in those years, I was determined to sober this man up. I bought him everything that Alcoholics Anonymous ever put out. And you know who read it? Me. Honey, I was an authority on the program of Alcoholics Anonymous for some 21 months. <laughs> I went to Al-Anon, and I heard what you had to say, and I walked through those, room, those doors that night. I've been a slow learner. I've had a long childhood. <laughs> it's taken me a long time to mature. And you said that the program of Al-Anon was for me, but I didn't believe you. And I sat in those meetings and I heard you say, let go and let God. But I didn't understand what you were saying. You told me release with love. But I couldn't understand it. Al-Anon was giving me the message, but again, it was how I was hearing the message. It became necessary for this man to go away for treatment. And I thought, surely when he comes back, things will be different. We had been in the program over a year by then. And so I set about my task again of fixing everything up. 
So while he was away, I uh, lined everybody up and got him all ready for when he got home. He was going to have this job, and everything was going to be great, and we were going to have, oh, you know, this very, very happy marriage with these three children, and everything was just going to be wonderful. I not only thought it, but I made sure that everyone knew about it, and I called him, and I told him that what he needed, you know, was for them to, to, to just have confidence in him again. And they did. And two months later, honey, everything fell apart, and guess who they called? <laughs> they called good old Dot. But good old Dot had finally got the message. And I can recall quite vividly that morning that I was called, and I made the statement that, I'm sorry, but he's an alcoholic, and it really is his problem. It was then and there that I let go, and I started working on Dot. And honey, there's a lot there to work on, you better believe. And because you loved me as I was, and I was pretty unlovable, then I was able to start to love me. And when I was able to start to love me, then I was able to love to start to start to love others. And thus began the growth that I was to experience. And I firmly believe that when we speak of a spiritual experience as a result of this program, that we are speaking about a complete change in personality, a complete spiritual change within a person. I started listening. I started applying the program to my life. I started releasing the people that I loved most into God's hands and letting God run the show instead of Dot. You told me it was necessary to take a fourth step, and I did. And I did everything that you told me that I should do. The man that I was married to got sober. No thanks to Dot. These three children that I spoke about, two of them were eligible for Alateen, and they got involved in Alateen to some degree. But always Dot was the focal point, and everything, everyone communicated around me. I got busy in service. First of all, I learned to empty ashtrays. I was always good at emptying ashtrays, honey, and I was always good at mopping after you. I mean, you know, I had to be so perfect, you know, at home. I mean, you put out a cigarette, and I'd empty an ashtray on you. I had to be so perfect. So I, that was a pretty good committee for me to get on, emptying ashtrays, making coffee. I could do all of that good stuff. Then you asked me to chair a meeting, and I did that. Then somehow or other, I got drugged to an assembly meeting one time, and I got interested in service. And so the growth came. He and I both growing together. I had the privilege of first serving the State Assembly and then later on to serve as delegate from the state of Louisiana. And you know, I told Gracie and Blanche the other day when they met me at the airport yesterday that in those years I used to think uh, it was so sad to, to uh, make friendships that I felt, well, I'll never see them again. 
This program has taught me that, really, as I stand here this morning, there are so many sitting in this room that are so very dear to my heart and so responsible that I am here in Dallas, Texas this morning. Our paths cross, and I firmly believe that God puts people in our life when we need them most. You know, when I was growing up, we spoke a lot about miracles in this Catholic convent. And they always talked about miracles, but I never thought that I would ever see a miracle, let alone be a miracle. But as I stand here right now, I see a bunch of miracles. Well, things were really great, and they were that way for about... Ten years. These three children had grown up, and uh, about 13 years ago, I uh, got a call one day in the office in New Orleans of Alcoholics Anonymous was in need of someone because the guy that had had working for him had quit. And so this very good friend of ours was chairman at the board, and Don called me that morning. He said, Doc, would you come down here? We're in a jam, and would you come down and help us at the office? Would you come down and run the office for us? And I thought by this time I was in a business. My husband had put me in a snowball business. Anybody knows what a snowball is, you know? It's shaving ice, and you put there something different kind of flavors on it, so that I was running a small snowball shop five months out of the year, and so... I told Don, certainly, Don, I'll come down, and I went down there, and uh, it worked out pretty good. So they asked me would I stay on, and I uh, decided that, you know, temporarily, five months out of the year, I would run this shop, and the rest that I would work there at Central Office. And so, uh, you know, it's been very much a part of my life from nine to five my life is touched by uh, alcoholics. Last night I was very glad when I heard the speaker say that he had called central office. I know there are a lot of members of AA today who are coming out of hospitals and institutions. And I think that anyone that gets sobriety, any way they get it, that's fine, and I'm all for it. But I want to let you know there's a lot, a lot of people out there who are still picking up a telephone and still calling Alcoholics Anonymous over a telephone. And the only message that I need to tell them, that guy or gal on the other end of the phone, is the fact that I care and that someone else cares. And I know I've heard it said so often at an AA meeting, if you ain't walked that walk, then you can't talk that talk. And I'll buy that. But I feel that I have walked alongside an alcoholic long enough to at least let them know that I care. I did this for five years, this temporary thing, and then you know how these alcoholics are. They conned me into the fact that, you know, why don't you rent that business out, you know, and come to work for us full time. So I did. And then eventually I closed down the business. About three years ago, they decided I was going to be the office manager. How about that? The office manager. And what do I do? I manage, you know, how do you manage a bunch of alcoholics, you know? (laughs) It just ain't possible. But they have loved me and I have loved them. And incidentally, 
There's also another activity going to take place during the International, and that's a central office luncheon. For interested members of Alcoholics Anonymous and central office secretaries from all over the world. And the New Orleans central office is going to play host to that. It's on July the 4th at the Roosevelt Hotel. And those of you who haven't got your tickets, you best get your tickets soon. And then it started happening. Suddenly, after ten years of sobriety in the home, things started happening. Two people whose marriage had withstood so very much, it began to fall apart. I know today that in the process of growth that this happened. It was very, very painful. Because you see, some five years ago, there was no booklet called Living with Sobriety. And at everything that I had ever known about this program and every speaker that I had ever heard speak, They had tied up their story in a nice, neat little package with a pretty little bow. And they all rode off into the sunset and they lived happily ever after. And certainly as I stand here this morning, I would like you to know that I think that the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and the program of Al-Anon is designed designed whereby two people can achieve the growth together, each in their own program. I think it was designed to men back relationships with each caring, each feeling one for the other. You can be who you are and I can love you for who you are. I may not agree with you, but that's all right. I can still love you. So that I think that each in their own way can work their program separate, but yet together can achieve much. But it didn't happen to me that way. So again, Dot had failed. Two absolutely beautiful people. But Dot had failed. Somehow or other, she had not been working her program. Because if she had been working her program, this would never have happened. I walked around some seven months. The ego. It couldn't happen to me. Here I was, you know, working for AA. I mean, surely they wouldn't want me. I mean, you know, I'd lose my job. They wouldn't want me. I mean, you know, there was that old dot back again that I had gotten rid of. Finally, after seven months of hurting with only my sponsors and the people very, very close to me, knowing how bad I hurt, I was able to walk into my Al-Anon group, and incidentally, every Thursday night, you'll find me sitting at the downtown Al-Anon group in New Orleans if I'm at home. And it was to them that I went back, and I let them know how badly I hurt. 
And when I let them know how badly I hurt, they again <coughs> came to my aid. And they loved me back until I was able to start to love me again. To realize that I had not failed. That nowhere but nowhere in any piece of Al-Anon literature does it say that it mends or it breaks marriages. That this is a program of personal growth and personal recovery. And that if I believed that God had a plan for my life, then this too was part of His plan. It was very difficult to realize that I had learned acceptance of people as they were and suddenly that they could not accept me as I was. And so this man walked out and for one solid year I tried desperately to put it back together. But this time it was different because there was something within me that cried out. I again found myself in a position of saying yes when I wanted to say no and no when I wanted to say yes. And then I came to the realization that again my life had become unmanageable. It was then and there that I let go and I let God. And God took over in my life. And I realized that, hey, you're okay, Dot. And hey, you are working the program to the best of your ability. And these tools that you have can help you and give you the ability to cope with life on a day-to-day -day basis. I had to take another fourth step, fourth and fifth step. Again, it was like starting all over again. And my sponsors were beautiful. And incidentally, on sponsorship, there's something I like. I always like to remember that I heard a speaker say one time, and that's make sure your sponsor's got a sponsor. <laughs> I like it. It makes a lot of sense. And so I've had some really good ones. And God, again, has put them, you know, in different spots in different parts. And some of them sitting in the room today, you know, they said, in the, and they said back when a couple of years ago, you know, and I knew they were there and they were there in my life and they said, hey, Dot, you're going to be okay. And the phone rang. And God just showed that he just again worked through people. These three children that I've spoken about but briefly are a very, very important part of my life. I had worked so hard at being this great mother. So again, that with the separation and later the divorce, it was very difficult for them to understand. And the pain that I have experienced has been worth the growth that I am now experiencing. But it's been a long haul getting here. But I know one thing, it's been worth every bit of it. Because the relationships and the communication between my children and I today or what they have always been that I dreamed that they would be. But it was not so four years ago. It was again, Mama, make things right. You know, I had created this image. I had not let them see, you know, the bad. I only let them see the good. 
And they couldn't understand why, Mama, you know, you won't make things right. It's so simple. And so for a long time, the oldest son and I, the relationship was not good. But it's good today. We have a much better basis than we have ever had. I can now lean on him. He lives in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And I see him and I talk to him. And he called me the day before I left to tell me to be sure and have a nice weekend. This middle son, who was quite active in our team, he's something else. Y'all should meet him. I'm certain if you did that you would recognize immediately the fact that he has a little problem. I can smile and I can laugh about him this morning, but it has not always been that way. You see, I've had to do the things that I did and when I have done everything that I possibly can about any given situation, then I have no other recourse but to let go and let God. And so it was with Craig. For a long time, I bailed him out of a lot of things, and I did a lot. And there were those amongst the family that would believe that I did not care. But you taught me what tough love was. And it is not important to me of what you think, if I care or not. I know how I feel inside. You taught me that I must allow the individual to suffer the consequences for their actions because then and only then will they ever come to realize they have a problem. <clears throat> He's been married twice, divorced twice, and deserted two families. It was very, very painful for me not long ago, about a year and a half ago, to tell Craig that I loved him very much. But his behavior to me was unacceptable. We have an understanding and a relationship today that is very good. He knows that I love him, and I know that he loves me. God has given me many opportunities to, uh, one in particular, to nurse Craig back to health. He uh, was in the service, got a discharge and came home with hepatitis and he almost died. He was bedridden for three months and he was also told at that time that he could not drink again. That has not stopped him. A few short months ago he said to me, I know I have a problem, I know I'm an alcoholic, but I'm not ready to do anything about it and that's okay. I know that the God of my understanding that led us to the program of Al-Anon and the program of Alcoholics Anonymous will in time do the same for him. I have placed him in God's hands knowing full well that God is taking care of him. This daughter that I talked about before that I had dreamed we were going to have this beautiful relationship, the one that my mother and I had never had, and I used to say we communicated when she wanted to and we didn't when she didn't. A lot has happened in that area. 
John moved away from home at the age of 19 after one semester in college she decided she wanted to quit college and she wanted to go to work and she did and she moved away from home and I felt that she was mixed up and she was confused and she needed some help but you know and I know that you can only do what you can do and then you know there isn't anything else to do you just turn it over and we talked about the fact through the years that her drinking was bad but you know I always said well she drank because of the problems she had and you know it doesn't really matter <laughs> you know you can release a husband you can release a son and you have to release a daughter and they're all three different it's a whole new ball game and it's like you start all over again I mean you don't just pick up like that you start the whole thing all over again and here was a woman who uh, has been around the disease of alcoholism a long time but kept rationalizing the fact that she just drinks because she's got a lot of problems if she ever gets rid of all these problems you know things will be fine and we talked about it and about three years ago she attended one meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous and uh, that was it oh we helped her friends out she had a friends calling me and uh, you know everyone that she was close to who had a drinking problem you know we we tried to help out but in uh, September of last year she and I attended a wedding not together but she got to the wedding after I was there she walked in and about a half hour later I saw something that I have never seen before I saw this 23 year old girl in a matter of a half hour's time completely bombed out that she could not even walk I drove her to my home and around four o'clock in the morning she woke up and we started talking and she started crying and she started saying you know I really need some help and I suggested to her that she do something about it and we talked and you know for months we had done this talking and you know talk is cheap but let's get with it you can only talk so much and you can only listen so much and then you begin you know then it really you begin to hurt the other individual and so too in Al-Anon I see so many Al-Anon people you know they talk they talk they talk but you know you got to get with it hey let's get with it or it just ain't gonna work and so we talked the next day she came by the house and it was as though nothing had happened absolutely nothing had happened she said something to me and I said something to her and I said John we have talked for the last time that we're going to talk now I suggest to you that the next time that your drinking causes any problems don't call me at four o'clock in the morning because I won't be there but if and when you decide you want to do something about it fine call me and I will be she didn't like this too much she walked out again slamming the door and the next two months that ensued I called her several times but we did not see each other we just talked on the phone October of last year at 2.15 on a Saturday afternoon the telephone rang and she was on the other end of the line and we proceeded to talk about the fact of all she had drank the night before and I said again you know John 
It's up to you, honey. There's a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous at 2.30 this afternoon, and I'll be more than happy to drive you there if you'd like to. She said, I'll be ready. Will you pick me up? And I said, yes, I will. I drove over and I picked her up. And I brought her to her first AA meeting. She went to her first AA meeting as Jean. I wanted her to have the best shot at this program that she possibly could have. In January of that year, she made a complete about face in her life and she came home to live with me. <laughs> and you know, it's been rough because I had to learn after 25 years of marriage to live alone. And I had to make a lot of adjustments. And then all of a sudden, here I got a brand new member of Alcoholics Anonymous in the house. It's been a long time, honey, since I'd lived with someone. <laughs> you best believe. That was in January. In February of that year, unbeknown to me, uh, she again drank. The weekend I was in the Atlanta, at the Atlanta conference, but it only lasted a day. But you know, God was good to me. And I really believe, you know, for years I'd said, you know, I'm going to get out of this house. But I know that God wanted me where I was so that she could come back and have a place to come. And we could get to establish this beautiful communication that I had dreamed of having. And from February to April, we did just that. It was beautiful. She also became quite sick, and it was very painful, and God gave me the strength to watch this girl go through something that I did not know what we were going through. I was not dealing with alcoholism. I was watching someone I loved at the age of 23 lose complete touch with reality. And there were those periods that we sat up and we discussed the program and we talked till four in the morning. And it was bizarre and it was crazy to watch someone you love falling apart in front of your eyes and not being able to do anything about it. The first of April, on a Thursday morning, after a call from a dear friend of hers, she said, Miss Shows, we've got to do something. A call from her boss, and again the knowledge the night before that I had turned it completely, absolutely into God's hand. There was nothing that I could do, and I didn't know where it was going. I saw an impossible situation at 11 o'clock in the morning in my office go from it being impossible to every door that could possibly be opened up from making a phone call at the right time and a right doctor being at the right place and an admission room of a hospital, every door opened up in a matter of two hours. My daughter was in a hospital, a psychiatric unit of Turo Infirmary. She had almost lost complete touch with reality. And she stayed there five weeks. 
and she came home. And we didn't know really what had happened because, you see, she had not been drinking. And the diagnosis upon her discharge was the fact that a long period of the use of, not the abuse of, but the use of amphetamines had caused this condition to happen. She was told that if she ever picked up another amphetamine, that she just might not make it back this time. On last Friday night in New Orleans, I helped to celebrate a first birthday of another member of my family. And it had been 17 years. It's been beautiful. It's been a whole new learning experience. I need the program of Al-Anon more today than I have ever needed it in my entire life. When the divorce was final, I thought, what have I got to give? You have given me so very much. I know this morning that certainly God has a plan for my life or I would not be here. I'm very happy. <laughs> there are still some areas that uh, I feel that need to be clarified. and Some of them are taking place. I uh, have had a thing about starting life anew and, and getting a little small place for myself. And God's in the process of working a few miracles. I just signed and agreed to purchase a small little house a month ago. I don't know if it's going to go through or not. You know, it's really up to Him. God has given me at my age to start life anew. My prayers to God for me this morning that I continue to grow, to become the person that you think I am, the one I think I am, but more important, the one that God knows I am. Indeed, the adrenaline still flows at any AA or at any Al-Anon meeting because, you see, I feel that warmth still, the feeling of belonging, the knowing you love me in spite of me. The program of Al-Anon, the program of Alateen, and the program of Alcoholics Anonymous has warmed my heart. It has fed my soul with love and with friendliness. And I only hope that I can give some of it back. I know I'm going to see y'all 4th of July in New Orleans, Louisiana. So until we see each other again, my wish for each and every one of you this morning is that you stay well, that you stay happy, you stay in Al-Anon, AA, and Alateen. My love to each and every one of you, again thanking you 
for allowing me the privilege of sharing with all of you this morning. Thank you. I don't know whether I'll be able to make this or not. It's pretty hard, hard to get up here right this minute. There wasn't one announcement that I did forget to make, and I want to apologize to Becky C. for not doing this, but Becky C., the Alateen sponsor, has reminded me to be sure and remind you again that they do have a meeting in this room at 4.15, and this is a sponsor's meeting. If there is any Alanines that are interested in Alateen sponsorship, you're cordially invited to attend this meeting at 4.15 in this room. Thank you. Dot, that was great. It really is just super, isn't it? Just to be here and be alive, be in the now, as Norm said, now, as Norm said last night, to be able to enjoy this. I am really grateful. You did a super job. Thank you. If y'all would all uh, rise, we will close the meeting in the usual manner. Join hands, please. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.